Welcome back to the Nomi Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nomi Podcast. I'm Madeline, a certified coach passionate about helping people navigate life's complexities with a bit more ease and understanding. And I'm Cynthia, a licensed mental health counselor and Madeline's mom. It's so good to be with you all today. As we approach the holiday season, we're mindful that for many, this is a time of year that can bring a mix of emotions, including grief and loss. While the holidays are often portrayed as a time of constant joy and gatherings, it's not always the case for everyone. Today's episode is especially close to our hearts as we delve into the challenging emotions that can surface during this time. We're here today to talk about honoring our true feelings, whatever they may be, grief, sadness, fear, or even hopelessness, particularly during the holidays when there's an added pressure to feel merry and bright. And to help us navigate this sensitive topic, we're joined by Jasmine and Maggie, amazing coaches and leaders of Nomi events. They bring not only their professional insights, but also their personal experiences with grief and the holidays. Before we dive into our conversation with Jasmine and Maggie, we have something special to share with you. If you're looking for a space to talk openly about your experiences or to learn strategies for coping with grief during the holidays or any time of the year, we invite you to join our grief roundtable. Jasmine and Maggie will be hosting this roundtable, and it's an opportunity to come together in a supportive, understanding environment. It's a place where you can share your story, listen to others, and perhaps find a sense of community and comfort. We understand how isolating grief can feel, especially during festive times. This roundtable is a chance to connect with others who are walking a similar path. You don't have to go through this alone. To join the roundtable or to get more information, just visit our website, nomi.com, or check the link in the show notes of this episode. We hope to see many of you there sharing, listening, and supporting each other. And with that, let's welcome Jasmine and Maggie to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Nomi Podcast. Today, we have not one, but two fantastic coaches and guests here, Maggie and Jasmine. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. Welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to have both of you here. I don't know about you guys, but this time of year, I sometimes feel like I'm going through the motions. With the holidays coming up here in the U.S., we've got Thanksgiving and we've got the other December holidays. I celebrate Christmas. And then I got married on New Year's. And so the expectation that I have for myself is that I'm going to be super excited. And when you go in the stores and everything is holly, jolly, merry, happy. And sometimes I just don't feel it. I actually feel reflective and sad and miss the traditions and go through my loss list. The loss of my marriage, my 20-year marriage, the loss of my girls not being kids anymore and them not traveling to me, but me traveling to them. It's icky, but I appreciate the slower pace at the same time because it Mm. does force me to pause and take stock and all of the losses and the changes. And it's a good time to take inventory, but I feel like I have to do it a little bit more gently. Yeah, echoing that. And Cynthia, I love that you brought up different kinds of loss. It's not just the death of somebody, but the loss of a chapter of life or the loss of how a relationship was operating and how it has changed. And very rudely, Thanksgiving is on my mom's birthday this year. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's just a whole nother, like the date itself is something that I always anticipate. And my mom passed away when I was 14. And so it's been many Thanksgiving weeks that that are 
punctuated by that loss as well. And yeah, you just see everyone posting about gathering as families and it just doesn't look the same for everyone. I feel sometimes isolated. And I know I have a lot of people around me that care about me. I know that if I asked for support, probably an army would show up. But even today, I kind of resist, right? Because I feel like a burden. Like I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, right? Or a Cynthia Downer. I find myself holding these feelings all by myself and not sharing them. That resonates. I think it's hard this time of year because where I have, Jasmine, I like that you brought up the dates because I lost my dad right after Thanksgiving. It'll be two years this year. So Thanksgiving is loaded, but then it adds an extra layer. But I think this time of year also, a lot of people slip into that frantic default mode. Mm. And so when it comes to asking for what you need or feeling like an island or feeling like a little isolated, it's... Yes, the people would show up. I agree with that. I'm lucky enough to have people that would show up. But it almost feels like an extra level of an ask because everybody is so heightened and keyed up and in their own head, so to speak. At least that's the story I tell myself this time of year. But it's tricky. It's tricky. It's interesting because even before we started recording this podcast, I had shared that unlike the three of you who have dealt with some major loss in the traditional sense of the word and grief, I haven't. And on the other side of that, right, so being the person who might be asked in these situations, I also don't know what to do. I never know how much to ask or acknowledge or denote. For some people, it's really meaningful to be acknowledged in the lack of presence of the loved one there. For others, they don't want to talk about it. And there's such a huge taboo around grief and loss that I think we do create isolation from all sides. So I'm curious from all of your perspectives, what are the needs this time of year? In your own experience, obviously knowing it's not going to be the same for everyone, but how can we really overcome this isolation and really see and hear and connect with each other during a time that, if for nothing else, could be about strong connection? I think a lot of it comes down to slowing down. It's hard, right? Because it's counterintuitive this time of year, but I think slowing down and just seeing the person that's in front of you goes a long way. So I know for me, it's not necessarily that I'm expecting people to go massively out of their way. But even if it's just someone taking 15 minutes and going for like a walk and just being present, I think just holding the space is really helpful and intentionally slowing down because then we can figure out what is sitting where and where our thoughts are. And it's all about that meaningful connection. I think it it really quickly makes a difference. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I think it's such a gift to give someone your presence and to receive that presence from someone else. And I would also say, ask the person how they want to be supported because it will be different for everyone. And they may have never been asked. They may just have a barrage of texts on that specific day. Just that might be the only way that people reach out. And there might be a different way, like a 15 minute walk they've never been asked about. So I would say, Madeline, Definitely say something rather than not say something. And I know it's Mm -hmm. always so hard to know what to say. I, even as someone who's experienced a pretty deep loss, sometimes don't know what to say to people who have experienced the same loss. Sometimes it can seem like there is a right thing to say, but oftentimes I think there's not. It's just like Maggie said, the presence. And then I would suggest asking that person, how would you like to be supported on this day? Or tell me about your person or tell me about the loss is always another good question. And that person might not want to talk about it that day, which is, of course, when you ask the question, you have to be open to whatever answer there is. But I often find that when people ask me that, it like it lights me up rather than brings me down. And there's definitely a time limit on how long I want 
want to talk about it and move on. Yeah, I would say those two suggestions mm-hmm. came to mind right away. It almost speaks a little bit to the word vulnerability is coming up for me on both sides, right? Being vulnerable to not only go inside, like you said, Maggie, and really check in with yourself, have the awareness of how are you, but also sharing that, right? We shy away from emotional conversations. We shy away from all of the emotional you know, language because we, I think it makes us feel vulnerable and especially at a time when we're already feeling super vulnerable. So I think that we need to, before if possible, something tragic happens, right? We need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable with the people that we've qualified that care about us. At least from the perspective of the person who's grieving, one of the lessons that I really learned, and it had to do with the self-discovery and just being curious too, was that people come in all different shapes, sizes, and capacities. And as I'm bumping into days with heavier grief or I there's needs that are arising. I've had to get really clear on what I can expect from who and who might be the best person to hold a specific kind of space that I need. And that's not saying that any of my friends do a terrible job at it. It's actually like a mutual respect thing, but setting both people up for success and That was something I definitely have discovered along the way is that it takes a village. Everybody in our life has different strengths. As I'm reaching out and as we're having those vulnerable moments, there's definitely people who I share different shades of those with. One of the other things that just came up in my mind when we were talking about vulnerability is in allowing emotions to flow naturally. And I think this time of year, even outside of loss and grief, There's just so many shoulds around emotions, right? I should feel joyful. One of the first things you said, Mm -hmm. mom, was I should feel merry. I should feel joyful. I should feel this and this. And when we don't feel that way, there's guilt and there's shame and there's a double layer of judgment, which sends us spiraling while we're still trying to hold the should to be merry, the should to be happy, the should to be joyful, or even the reverse. In the healing process, sometimes there are years when you are feeling joyful and then all of a sudden the guilt sets in of, I should be grieving. I should be sad. I should be acknowledging this person all the time. And I think we're, we have ourselves in an emotional chokehold around this time of year because we're trying to force emotions instead of just letting the energy flow naturally, being witness to them, taking the information they're trying to give us and making decisions and choices accordingly. Because I don't think we're taught how to uh, process emotions. And we get so many different messages from the outside world about emotions. Emotions our weaknesses. Certain emotions should be eradicated. And our goal is to never feel them again. In my practice and in my life, I say to a lot of people, what if that emotion is your superhero? How would you allow it or work with it if it was actually a help? And what if we moved away from trying to eradicate anything and just were curious? Hey, sadness, what's up? Hey, anger, what's up? I love what you just said. That simple hey and then the blank. When I, I my coach first taught that to me maybe a few months ago, and it sounded so easy or simple at first. I was like, that's not going to do anything. Those are just two words. And I've started implementing that and just inviting, saying, hey, sadness, hey, anger, and inviting that into my experience. And I don't know what I'm going to say next, or I don't know. I don't expect anything to happen after that, but it is 
so powerful Mm -hmm. to just allow whatever is happening and to say, welcome in, like you are welcome here. It also ties into this, this exercise I've just started. I might butcher the name of this book, but I think it's called Making Miracles in 40 Days. And it has everything to do with saying thank you to all of the difficult emotions and the difficulties in life. And the author actually lost her son at a pretty young age. And so she has this lens on gratitude that's not just like be grateful for all of the abundance and all of the joy and all of the good things in your life. She encourages people to not necessarily be grateful for. She actually makes a distinction of you do not have to be grateful for, nor should you be grateful for the death of someone you love or the loss of a marriage, but to say thank you to the emotion Thank you to the feeling because it's all part of the human experience and it's all part of the spectrum of emotions. And I've read this so many places, but it's so true. I find that when I'm feeling a broader spectrum of things and I'm acknowledging those feelings and not pushing them away, I feel like I'm experiencing more life. Yeah, I love that too. And I think it's, I'm just speaking personally, like I have lost, so I lost both parents and a sibling within the last seven years. And just thinking personally, like when I lost my brother in 2017, I remember being in the should category. Like I was really upset because I I felt like I wasn't feeling the feelings that I should be feeling. And I would argue that like I really wasn't feeling much because I was doubting my capacity to even hold space for any of it. And really what has shifted and changed for me is when I lost my parents, I did. Like I had done a lot of work and I had the capacity to hold the space for everything. And I can say unequivocally, inviting, I love this idea of like inviting the feelings in. It's changed my life for the better, even though one of my biggest fears was loss and feeling pain and being uncomfortable. It's only when I started to feel the loss and the pain and the uncomfortableness that I could actually feel everything that was also good on the flip side of it. It's funny, I make myself laugh in the mornings, but sometimes I'll get up and before I meditate, I just get on the floor and I'm like, okay, like we were saying, who's here? showing up today and it's almost like I beat them to the party which is fun like I'm beating my emotions there because then I'm just like I'm opening the space for everything in that moment so I'm not getting sidelined while making my coffee I'm just creating that space the distinction that I heard was you made a pivot Maggie to decide to host your own party to invite them as you were saying Jasmine into my home right in instead of having them be unexpected guests. We flip the script of being the host of our party, not somebody who has a whole bunch of party crashers. The party crashers like linger way too long too. When you're the host of the party, I found that the emotions move faster. Like when we let them flow like energetically and whatever, we notice them, they're there. We hang out with them for a little bit, hold some space. And then they're like the nice guests who leave your house by 7.30 at night. (laughs) They're not the party animals like who are there flipping your furniture over and trashing things like four in the morning. I often find that when I do invite something in, let's say, jealousy or envy or something, there's always something else underneath it, sadness or fear or something like a more of a base emotion. And that helps me process whatever the initial emotion is. And so just allowing and welcoming them in and allowing them at the party, I feel like often transmutes, like you said, allows you like to discover like a layer deeper kind of what's really going on there. Yeah, not interrupting flow, right, of anything. The other thing that comes to mind this time of year and all time of year, I've been sitting with a lot of this with my clients and also with myself is this general grief around the state of our world. 
the state of our world being disconnected with wars and atrocities? And how do we remain hopeful? How do we remain hopeful when everywhere we look, or it seems like everywhere, and I usually don't use those all-encompassing words, but for some people, it feels like everywhere I look, there's more tragedy than there is more joy. It's hard for me because I feel like I'm the person who's had a lot of loss that runs around with rosy colored glasses on sometimes. But a really wise person once said to me, Cynthia, that everything bubbles down to like love or fear, right? And when we're operating from this fear-based place of looking around and only maybe noticing all the atrocities and it grates on us. Fear diminishes our capacity and our ability to even do good. It really wreaks havoc. And so I find that when I'm able to start like noticing the good and noticing that the good can exist alongside the bad, that's when I feel the most empowered to help or the most hopeful versus hopeless. Without diminishing or degrading the accountability that we want to hold our systems and hold these situations to without ignoring the atrocities and just moving toward gratitude or moving toward loving kindness with a blatant disregard for some of the things that are happening in the world. I think it's important the context and the underpinnings and the beings that are behind the doings, right? So the hopefulness for me doesn't come from the avoiding the protests or avoiding the articles or shutting off the news or all of this like blockage type stuff. It's in trying to find meaningful ways that will create connection, that will create compassion, that will create kindness. And I think a lot of times when we're responding to the hopelessness, the way the hope comes in is by reaching toward these other parts of ourselves mm -hmm. first and asking, how can I do something that feels empowering and feels like I am contributing toward creating a different kind of world and takes into account compassion, connection, creativity, kindness, etc. In the process of trying to create hope, we need our allies and our allies are these values. They are our strengths. They are the things that we reach toward consciously in our being states that influence who we're spending time with, what we're doing, etc. Now more than ever, we do need to be aware of our values. We do need to be aware of our strengths and what we contribute to the world because those are the things that's going to stop us from completely collapsing as people and being frozen in a state of fear, sadness, or, or even frustration. Be the creator, right? Not just the recipient. It is a conscious choice. I think having a really strong understanding of yourself, so your inner knowing is so crucial because even when we're looking at our strengths and what we value and we're looking at the state of the world or the challenges that are presented, unless we're really good about checking in with ourselves, sometimes we can go on this value-based should list. I think mm -hmm. we can turn our values into should sometimes. I value contribution. So I should be going to every protest or I should be like watching this so I know all the information and then I'm able to contribute in a meaningful way. So I think especially with everything that's happened in the world and just the energy this time of year, it really is crucial to even check in with are we actually doing our values in a way that we would like to? Are we executing mm -hmm. them in a way that's meaningful? We were just talking about this in one of the workshops that we do for the Nomi Club and we were talking about how we can have an extreme of our values as much as we can have a insufficiency of that value. 
And that's mm-hmm. why it's really important to look at our values on a like infinite gradient scale, right? Where the value, the Goldilocks is right in the middle. And we have to figure out what that middle looks like because let's say, for example, it's kindness, right? Depletion of kindness could be being mean, being rude, et cetera. But too much kindness can also be self-sacrifice and people pleasing and all of these other things that can send us into tricky spirals because if we're framing it in our brains as, but I'm being kind, it can really diminish our understanding of what's going wrong. And so then we feel like something's wrong with us and and we start freaking out. And the inner critic is like, yes, my time is here. I love the way you just phrased that, Maggie, because I do think it's so important to figure out where that middle zone of our values is. But first we have to figure out what they are, right? So step one is what are my strengths and values? What do those look like? Using these word lists and then saying, okay, maybe I identify that caring is a value of mine, but what do I really mean by that? Creating even word strings of what caring means to you and really defining it and giving examples of in the past, when did you really feel you were just perfectly hitting that nail on the head with caring? And when did it not feel right? And just really exploring each of our values and each of our strengths in a depth that allows us to get more and more aware of when we're off kilter or when we're really living and aligning with that value. It's called alignment for a reason. It's not an on-off switch. (laughs) My dad died. And when he died, my mom was just freshly diagnosed with ALS. And so I had to pivot from my career and I was taking care of her while grieving my dad. And really what got me through that and through the other side, feeling like I did a good job, was carrying my values with me every step of the way, was deciding what person I wanted to wake up and be in the morning. And when you're caretaking for your mom, you're a full-time caretaker with this horrendous disease, my values showed up in different shades every single day, like you were saying, right? This gradient. But they were still really my North Star every single day. Yeah, it just that really just Mm. rung home and came up for me as you were talking, because it is true. I know what it would look like in a perfect container, what my values would look like in this perfect little scientific lab. But when the intensity is cranked up in life, sometimes they don't always look like the way you want them to look in the lab. And so it's just having the self-compassion to let them ebb and flow, but always coming back to center. Making the values ingredients, right? You wake up every day and you decide what you want to make or try to create for that day. And then you add a pinch of this today, but a whole handful of that and and a fistful of the other thing. And maybe even, you know, I'm going to try it without that today and see how that goes. You guys are all blowing my mind. I've never thought about values on a sort of like a gradient scale. And yeah, Maggie, what you said about knowing how your values show up in a perfect situation or on a perfect day, like how, yeah, how often does that happen? And how often is it that we have to adjust to whatever is going on and allow ourselves to not show up with 100% kindness or 100% creativity in every situation. It's that's brilliant. We talk about so many ways of inner knowing. And when we're doing these journeys, because it requires so much alone time in our own brains and within our own worlds, we tend to define ourselves in a vacuum. And then we go out in the real world And last night we were doing this workshop on boundaries and it's okay, great. We like workshop all these boundaries here, but then you go out and you set a boundary or you communicate something and the other person throws you a curveball and you're like, dang it, I had it all prepared. 
I knew the values I wanted to show up in and I knew this. And it's so hard to stay firm and stay authentic and stay aligned. It is a balancing act. There's a reason why it's called balance, because in order to balance yourself, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to be on a balancing beam or on any sort of balance anything. You're constantly shifting your weight. You're constantly in movement to hold balance because we are moving alive, living creatures that bump into environments and people. What's really challenging is when we're in the early stages of the self-awareness journey, it can be incredibly depleting and diminishing of our work when we feel like we've really cracked something, especially this time of year. Like I've really cracked my life and I'm really living my honest existence and I feel really authentic. And then you re-enter all of these old environments or old relationships and you're like, oh no, and fall back into all of these old habits. So it is a constant balancing act to stay in the alignment that we do define for ourselves and acknowledge that we don't live in a vacuum. We are going to be knocked off kilter. And the more we practice, the shorter the time is between being knocked off kilter and realigning to ourselves again. Yeah, that's so true. And I was going to be, I'm like, oh, we're talking about grief. Let me be the Debbie Downer. But you said at the beginning, it never ends. It's a constant process. And I think you just wrapped it up perfectly, which is like your time that you get knocked off each time is shorter and shorter, but it can definitely be disorienting no matter what point of your journey you're on. But I can say unequivocally, it was the work that I put into getting to know my inner landscape and the self-compassion that I'm able to extend myself that saved myself. It truly saved me and let me come off the side of every one of my losses and challenges so far and only be stronger for it on the back end. And balance is a journey. I remember years ago, my therapist explaining it to me and she stood up and she said to me, I'm shifting my weight every moment because this thing called gravity, if I try to stay in the exact same spot, even though I think it might be perfect in this moment, I'm eventually going to fall over. Faster that you can come to terms with that, the faster more doors start to open. Because my therapist once looked at me and said, your anxiety is never going to totally go away ever. And that was a hard pill to swallow. But the second you did, you start to realize that you can move through the world with it instead of fighting against it. And the same goes for grief. I think the faster I realized that grief is always something that I'm going to carry and always something that I'm going to move with, the more I was able to shift and balance and just manipulate how I was moving with grief. Can I read this quote that was in a newsletter I read yesterday? We're talking about self-knowledge and learning about ourselves and adapting to, to what's happening in our lives. And this is a quote from Eric Hoffer, who is a philosopher. It says, in times of change, learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. So those Ooh. who have stopped learning and can be about self, mm -hmm. about anything. Yeah, I just love, I love that, that came up. I love me. it. Thank you for sharing that. I love a good quote. It does. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest cognitive distortions we've talked about before is black and white thinking. And I think mm. that the idea of things being linear or on off or whatever, I'll, like it's just human habit to default to this way of thinking. But some of the most beautiful conversations that I've ever had around grief were with you, Jasmine, when we were talking about the regenerative nature of love and compassion and that when we think of things like loss or in the world with our people, et cetera, as a net negative, 
we're doing ourselves a disservice. And so this idea of regeneration and using our values and strengths in any measure in this ever-balancing act, it enables us to be those creators, mom, as you put it earlier, to be in a state of empowerment where you're not looking at your at your pantry of life and saying, why do things keep getting taken out of here? But rather you're in a constant process of restoring and replenishing and regenerating and inviting other people into that process and building and growing. And the position of the creator is just such a beautiful place to live. You have helped me so much with that regenerate the idea of regeneration in grief and something else that you've helped me notice and, and realize is that I have let the grief and the loss of my mom define nearly if not every part of me until now and you I think you went out on a limb when you taught me this or you asked me this but I think you asked me a question what did you ask me I can't remember now. it was a really intense question I don't know if I want to call myself out on this but I think yeah. the one you're talking about is when I asked you what if the most important thing your mom ever did wasn't die and what a gift to give someone to reframe the loss or the death or whatever it is you're grieving as, as something that is not something to be ashamed of or something that's all bad or something that must have taken like everything away from you and to frame it more as how did that person change you? What was that person's life like instead of what was their death like and what has life been like mm -hmm. after their death? That's beautiful. And I think that's something that I'm also working at because my relationship with my mom was complicated and it was messy. And it really wasn't until she was literally on her deathbed that I started to see my mom for a human and for all of her qualities beyond, you know, beyond just like the unintentional pain she caused. And I think, yeah, like Jasmine, like that's such a beautiful way to put it. So what are the qualities? And I'm asking myself and still coming across them like every day. What are the qualities of my mom beyond just her death? and beyond just the voids that I will never get to fill that she left behind that I can carry with me and honor her with. Yeah. And this is so important because in the grief process, and it is a process, it's not necessarily a stepping stone. I had someone the other day say to me, will I ever get to acceptance? I think I'm like on the same, I'm feeling angry again, or I'm feeling sad again, or I'm feeling right. And I said, wishing it wasn't so or whatever. And I said, the misnomer is, and I almost wish I know the importance of kind of normalizing some of the feelings that we're having, but there's not a formula that you spend X amount of time here and X amount of time there and whatever really is fluid and to, to allow ourselves, right, to flow. Acceptance is sometimes accepting that I am angry. I'm angry some of the time that my mom had the audacity to die during some of the most important parts of my life. And for 14 years with Alzheimer's, even though physically she was still here, she wasn't helpful to me at all. And that's not what I signed up for. And allowing myself that space and that grace and that compassion to bump into that. And also to feel so thankful, right? That when I want to carry on a tradition or someone says to me, oh my gosh, you sound just like your mom. I embrace that. And I think that's a gift. And I think that's the nature of acceptance, really, isn't it? Like when we talk mm -hmm. about acceptance, the idea even in the, the stages of grief, and I'm doing air mm -hmm. quotes because I know mm -hmm. some people don't necessarily agree with the, the formula, mm -hmm. 
acceptance, as I understand it, isn't about just accepting that the person is gone. It's acceptance of the process of grieving. It's acceptance of the emotions that come with it. It's acceptance of the variance of that person, that there was greatness to them and that there was pain caused and that we all have many parts to us because we're multifaceted. And the acceptance is in the flexibility and the ability to move with all of it and to adapt and to rebalance in the process. So I think there's a misnomer around the the idea that acceptance just has to do with being okay that something is gone or being okay that the world is the way it is or getting to a place where you just button it up and don't try and change anything ever again and just accept your lot in life and then whatever. Acceptance is the rebalancing act. That is the place we get to where we can pivot and adjust and allow the flow and be open to our experience fluidly. And this sounds like a really good place of acceptance for us to wrap up. So I'm going to tip my hand a little here and let you know that we just edited out a little bit of a chunk where we were talking about whether or not a Mary Oliver quote or poem would be pertinent to close the episode with. And Maggie recommended reading a beautiful poem by Rumi to which all four of us realized that we were all thinking about and or had tabs open with this poem because of the conversation. So Maggie, will you please read for us The Guest House by Rumi? Yes. Okay. The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. One of my favorites. I so appreciate the vulnerability, the candor, and also just this is the Nomi community spirit, in my opinion, is this feeling of we, whether or not we have the exact same experience, which we can't because we're different humans, we can sh still share in our wisdom and share in holding space for each other. So I'm so grateful, Maggie and Jasmine, and also, of course, always to you, Mom, for sharing this brief space with me and with all of our listeners. Thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Maggie and Jasmine are both Nomi leaders, which means that they run workshops and are available through the Nomi Club. So if you're interested in working with them directly, whether one-on-one -on -one or in our group setting, you're more than welcome to go to nomi.club and see their offering under events. I really can say that their workshops are very well attended and they are lovely humans to work with. So please definitely have a look and we will see you in two weeks. Until next time. Be well. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope our conversation provides some insight and practical ways to navigate and understand you. If you have found our show to be helpful, please pass it along. Madeline and I are hoping you will join us in creating a ripple effect of mental health and well-being. As always, thanks for listening to the Nomi Podcast. This is Cynthia and Madeline asking you to be good to you.